My name is Lamar Hardwick. I'm a husband, father of three, pastor, scholar, author, and all-around avid reader and lover of all things culture. And in 2014, at the age of 36 years old, I was diagnosed with autism. This is the Autism Pastor Podcast, where we discuss all things culture, politics, faith, religion, and spirituality, all through the lens of someone loving, learning, and living while on the autism spectrum. Welcome to the Autism Pastor Podcast. So I, I made a lot of things up. 
I copied what I saw other people do. I tried my best to get along, to go along, because I knew uh, I didn't know what to do to fit in, but I knew what not to do to be singled out. And so uh, we're, we're talking about this because this is actually an issue that impacts uh, a lot of people, and it impacts the witness of the church. So I, I share this in the book, and I talk about this, that the disability community uh, is the only minority group that you can become a part of for any, at any time and for any reason. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you knew this, as we talk about as our world continues to push for diversity and inclusion, that's the world's way of saying that for historically, and not just in this country, historically there has been a majority of voices that have primarily shaped everything that we know to be right and true. And what has happened is that there have been voices that have not been allowed to be a part of those conversations. And so as our culture is saying more diversity, more diversity, and what it's saying is, is there's minority groups all over the world that haven't had a chance to weigh in on how we do things, how we do church, how we do society, how we do education, how we do employment. Most of those voices that have been left out have not been included. And so in order for us to continue to push the boundaries of diversity, and inclusion, we've got to start with what I believe is the largest minority group, not just what I believe, but what the data shows, the largest minority group in the world are persons with disabilities. And it is the only group that you can join for at any time for any reason. It's also the only group, watch this, if you live long enough, you will become a part of. As a matter of fact, many of us need to understand that if, if you currently use any sort of assistance to help your body or mind function, in the way that it was created. There's no shame on that, but the reality is is that you probably are part of that community. Whether you have corrective lenses or blood pressure medication or walking assistance, you're a part of that community because you need accommodations and assistance to help you to live as much of a normal life as possible. And so this is why this impacts all of us. As a matter of fact, what we probably need to also understand is that because of COVID-19 and us now learning about what is called long haulers, those who are having symptoms that extend beyond the time of the virus, we're just now learning that some of those symptoms will linger and not just become long haul, but lifetime conditions. And so what's going to end up happening is we're going to see an increase. By the way, the numbers of disability are about one in five, about 20%. And what we believe and what science believes is that as we're on the other side of COVID in the next few years, we're going to find that and they've already done studies of this, that some people have now have long-term breathing issues. There's even been cognitive issues that have been uh, a part of, and this is not to scare you, but this is to say that this is something that the church needs to pay attention to. Because the church historically has not been very good at accommodating, uh, appreciating, and including people in this community. And so I want to I just start with a portrait uh, of Paul's life, because... I think it's important for us to understand the church's role and what we should be doing and even the historical role of the church. So let me just read this to you from Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. I want to use the message translation as I sort of give you a picture of what's going on in the church. This is what Paul says. He says, my dear friends, what I would really like you to do is to try to put yourselves in my shoes to the same extent that I, when I was with you, put myself in yours. Pay attention to that. You were very sensitive and kind, and you did not come down on me personally. You were well aware that the reason I ended up preaching to you was that I was physically broken. And so, 
prevented me from continuing my journey. I was forced to stop with you. That is how I came to preach with you. And don't you remember that even though taking any sick guest was most troublesome for you, you chose to treat me as well as you would have treated an angel of God, as well as you would have treated Jesus himself if he had visited you. What has happened to the satisfaction you felt at that time? There were some of you then who, if possible, watch this, would have given your very eyes to me. That is how deeply you cared. And now, have, su- have I suddenly become your enemy simply by telling you the truth? I can't believe it. Here's something that maybe, as you have studied, maybe you studied the book of Galatians, maybe you haven't, but maybe you haven't come across this and really understood the depths of what Paul is talking about. So, so Galatians is a letter that is one of Paul's earliest. As a matter of fact, it's his first. And so what's important to understand about the context is that these These thoughts in Galatians are Paul's most unfiltered response to his experience with the church. As you remember, Paul was was converted on that Damascus road. He was actually the one who was persecuting the church. And so these these words in Galatians are the closest to his conversion to Christianity. So what you get, sometimes I think Paul is a little bit like me, that he don't have very much of a filter. He just says what he thinks. And if you read Galatians, you'll kind of catch that spirit where he's talking about, I don't care nothing about these apostles and they weren't better than me. Like, Paul, if you read Galatians, this is his most unfiltered experience with the church, which means that these are probably the most honest of his experiences with the church. And you notice that he says, when I came to the province of Galatia, it wasn't because I wanted to stop there. Watch this. He says that my body was physically broken. Did you catch that? In other words, he says, my body made a choice for me that I didn't choose. And oftentimes, that's the life of living with some form of disability, whether it's intellectual, developmental, or physical. Your body makes choices for you that you yourself are not choosing. But Paul says, this is how I came to preach the gospel to you. In other words, even though it was because I had what he calls a physical brokenness, you you later hear him say that some of you were so kind that you would have even given me your eyes, which lends us to believe that one of the things that Paul was struggling with as far as a disability is that he was going blind, which gives context to now his thorn in Corinthians, which some scholars also believe that he may have some form of epilepsy that may or may not have been a result of his Damascus Road experience. Remember, it knocked him down off of his horse, and he he was blinded for many days. And we also know that Paul, what they described, used to have some trances. You remember, he says, I was caught up in third heaven. And so some scholars believe, and I tend to agree, that he was going blind. He may have also had some form of epilepsy. But in Galatians, his most unfiltered experience with the church, he says, I, I wasn't even planning to stop here, but because of my disability, it made me stop here, and I began to preach the gospel to you. And in the beginning, you were kind to me. Did you catch what he says? He says that even though I was sick and I had issues, you took me in and you treated me as though I was an angel from God or Jesus himself. You didn't consider me a burden. Something happened. He says that my earliest experience was with the church was that you treated me well. Opened your arms to me despite the fact that you had to accommodate me. You had to do things for me that you didn't have to do for other people. And you welcomed me and you did it with joy. And some of you loved me so much that if you could have given me your eyes, you would have done that. And then he goes on to say, What has happened to the satisfaction you felt at that time? There were some of you who, if possible, you would have given me your eyes. That's how deeply you cared. And now, 
have I suddenly become your enemy simply because I'm telling you the truth. Paul's most unfiltered experience with the church was that the church began its mission by caring for those who had physical limitations. And they were happy to do that. And then Paul says, but something changed. That's how you guys think that's still the trajectory of the church. And Paul's apparently in Galatians describing what he has what he describes as a difficult time with the church. He mentions his own physical limitations with the church initially accommodated, but something happened, and what Paul began to discern was a distance developing between him and the church. I think that's still true because the early church I showed you began with not what they call disability or special needs ministry. It was just their response to being obedient to the teachings of Jesus, and something happened. Paul says something, something happened. I remember as a kid um, growing up, and even though I wasn't diagnosed until I was 36, around 7 or 8, I knew that there were differences between me and other kids. Like, there were just things I didn't understand. I didn't get. I stuck out like a sore thumb. I was bullied. There were all sorts of things. Most of it socially, anxiety, not understanding body language and social cues. And you can understand that if 90% of communication is nonverbal, and I don't get that, that's hard to deal with people. And I remember as a young as a young boy growing up in the Baptist church, and there was a time to take communion, and they were passing the communion. That's back when you used to pass the communion around. You had the ushers. Remember the white gloves? And the ushers, they used to pass it. And, and I remember reaching out my hand to take some of the communion. And this is not a commentary on uh, the theology of the Eucharist. All I remember was a white, cold glove. I don't know how it was cold, and you had gloves on. But a white, cold <laughs> hand grabbed my hand. Snatched it back from the communion, probably because I hadn't been baptized. I get that now, but here's my point. People always remember how you make them feel. And all that did for me at the age of seven, eight, or nine, whenever that was, I can't remember the age, is it only confirmed to me that my difference was so distinct that even God didn't want to have anything to do with me. And Paul says... We started off doing well, and then all of a sudden something happened. So here's a question I had to ask myself when I was being diagnosed. I had to ask myself this question. I had to challenge the church in my book to ask itself this question. What do people experience when they experience me? And I think the church has done a pretty awful job at asking that question. Because we measure ourselves by ourselves. As long as we like it and it works for us, then we don't necessarily care whether or not it works for anybody else. The problem with that is that we say we're trying to reach the people who are not here. So it seems like we should care how what we do impacts them. What Paul says is started off well, but something happened. Let me give you some statistics from our friends at Understood. Understood is an organization that does digital data that helps us to understand the impact of disability on, on of the impact of people's ability to attend church based on a disability. This is primarily not physical disabilities, but listen to this. Understood statistics percentage, this is a percentage increase of a family not attending church. 19% if a family member has ADHD. It's a 19% increase that they will not attend church. A 36% increase if a family member has some sort of learning disability. 36% increase that they will not attend church. 
45% if a family member has an anxiety disorder. They have some sort of anxiety disorder, there's a 45% increase that they will not come to church. 55% if a family member has any sort of conduct disorder. 55%. But listen to this. 84% if a family member has autism. 84% increase that that family will not attend our church if that person in their family is infected by autism. And then it goes on to say that 56% kept children out of religious activities due to lack of support from the church. 56% of families kept their children out of church because they report that the church doesn't support them. And then 46% have never been asked about how to include their loved ones. 46% of people who are knocking on the doors of the church say that they have never even been asked, how can we accommodate your loved one and their needs? This is what happens at the church of Thessalonica. Because Paul, what's astounding to me, has an early experience with the church that is negative based on the fact that they begin to distance themselves from him because of his disability. And yet, years later, Paul still expresses his love for the church. He, he plants his church, and he knows about the distance between himself and the disability community. As a matter of fact, I'd be willing to say that what COVID-19 has shown us is that the distance that is created between us and one another and our ability to have full access to the church is analogous to the distance that has always existed for those with disabilities. And all it has done is expose the church's unwillingness, ignorance, and inability. Here's what I've noticed. When we weren't able to fully access the church, didn't the church get creative? Didn't it find money to do things? Didn't it find a way to make sure that those who were not able to access its programs and its worship services had an ability to access it? And all it did is show the disability community that it could have been done the whole time. So Paul understands this. And he knew this pain because, remember, he says, you started to distance yourself from me. In the beginning, you thought, we'll take care of him. And then all of a sudden, he said something changed, which astounds me that even though that's his earliest, most unfiltered experience with the church, Paul still loves the church. Even though my, growing up, even as a pastor's kid, my earliest experiences with the church was with the church unintentionally communicating to me that my difference was what would separate me from God. I still had a love for the church. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1. I'm just going to read verses 2 and 3. He says, We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your enduring hope. You have because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Paul, who admits that the church treated him wrong in the beginning, 
still has a call to the church. Can I say this? The disability community is not knocking on the doors of the church because they necessarily need it, and they do. They're knocking on the doors of the church because they love the church just as much as we do. And even though Paul had a difficult beginning, you notice what he says? He says, every time we think of you, we thank God for you. The same church that disrespected him and disregarded him and distanced himself from him, Paul still had a profound love for that church. He goes on to say why, and I want to share with you maybe some of the history of the church that will help you to understand why this is important for the church. Number one, Paul, even though he had a difficult time with the church, he says this, I love you, and I thank God for you because of your faithful work. Paul knew this in the early century, and some of these things happened after his lifetime. But remember I said the church's earliest experiences was that they didn't see it as a separate ministry. They just saw it as a responsible response to be obedient to the teachings of Jesus. They saw what Jesus did. They saw how he lifted up the marginalized. They saw how he went out into the outskirts of the community where the people with disabilities were pushed aside. And they saw Jesus minister to them. He saw him bring, he saw, they saw him bring them back into community. And Paul says, even though I've had a difficult experience with the church, I still love the church because the church has been faithful to the work. In other words, Paul is saying that the church had a conviction that makes it attractive. What conviction was that? The church, watch this, has always anchored, has always been anchored by its conviction that all life is valuable. That's why he loved the church. Listen, the church, we've got it wrong. In 1990, when the Americans with Disabilities Act was was passed, the church, because of religious exemptions, exempted itself from having to have physical accommodations. Now, most churches nowadays, if they're modern buildings, they have those accommodations. But can I just tell you, when the church decided to use its freedom of religion to resist having to accommodate those with disabilities, it's in a poor witness to that community. And despite that, we are still the institution and the organization that has brought the fore- to the forefront of our culture a value for all human life. Paul says, I love the church, even though I had a difficult time with the church. I, I love the church, even though the church wasn't always a place for a person like me. The reason why I love it so much is because even though we have gotten it wrong, it's still the place that always points to the fact that all human life is valuable. I can't get that everywhere else. You know that before Christianity emerged, there were several hospital-like centers in Buddhist regions, and even the ancient Greeks practiced a very simple form of medicine. But the problem is that there was a different ethic. Even, even the Romans were believed to establish some military hospitals. However, it was the Christians of the Roman Empire who began to change society's attitudes towards the sick, the disabled, and the dying. Now, they always had health care, but... Even in those days, in the Greco-Roman world in which Christianity appeared, they were often cruel and inhumane. The weak and the sick and the disabled were despised. And abortion and infanticide and poisoning were widely practiced. As a matter of fact, doctors in that culture were often seen also as sorcerers who had the power to heal but also the power to kill. And among all the pagans of the classical world, it wasn't until Constantine allowed for the Freedom of Religion Act where Christianity could be practiced out in the open in 311 A.D. It wasn't until then that Christians were allowed to publicly practice their ethic that all human life is valuable. 
And so while there were hospitals and there were people caring for sick, the sick and the weak and the disabled were despised. And it wasn't until the church was allowed to practice it out in the open that it brought an ethic to the practice of medicine. To say that we believe that all human lives are valuable. And then you start to see social reform. This is why Paul loved the church, even though he had a difficult time. This is why I love the church, even though I've had a difficult time with the church. This is why people in the disability community love the church, even though the church has had a difficult time in figuring out how to do this right. It is the church who champions the value that every single human life is created in the image of God. And even though we don't always get it right, there's really no other place for them to go that brings value to their life because it always has been the church that has had a conviction that all human life is valuable. No exceptions, no exemptions. It does not matter how your body functions or does not function. It has been the church that has brought the ethic that all people matter. And Paul says, this is why I love the church. Even though I had a difficult time in Galatians, it's the most unfiltered experience with the church is y'all did me wrong. But somehow I still love you because when I look out on the culture, nobody else is going to affirm that made in the image of God. He says, we, we love it because there's a condition. And he goes on to say that I, I love the church because there's a commitment. You catch what he said. He says that not just we think of you for your faithful work, but because of your loving deeds. Let me tell you why I love the church, even though, and, and people look at me now and they think that I've had a lot of success, but it has been a rough road for me. I have not always been welcome. I have not always been understood. I have not always been able and allowed to follow my calling to the fullest of its extent because. There are challenges that I have. But, but I love the church, even despite our flaws, not just because of our faithful work, just like Paul. I love the church, and the disability community loves the church because of its loving deeds. In other words, Paul says that the church has always had a commitment to do the right thing. Even though we don't always get it right, the church has always had a commitment to try to get it right. He says it's your loving deeds. I don't know if you knew this, but a few years, decades after Constantine, Julian who came to power in 8355, was the last Roman emperor to try to reinstitute paganism. And in his explanation, Julian said that if the old religion wanted to succeed, if we're going to go back, if we're going to revert back to the old religion, if we're going to move away from Christianity, check out what Julian said. He says that our religion is going to need to care for people even better than the Christians. That the only way for me to convince people to leave Christianity is that we got to do a better job than what they did. Because he knew that the reason why Christianity began to explode is because the Christian ethic applied to how people were cared for and them being seen as image bearers of God meant that people finally understood that God loves me unconditionally. And he says our only shot at going back to the old religion is we got to do a better job than these Christians. That's how great of a job that they did of caring for those with disability community that even other religions could not even thrive in those cultures and in those counties and in those countries because Christians did an awesome job at making sure that everybody was included. And Julian says, we don't even have a shot because they've done too much. In AD 369, St. Basil of Caesarea founded a 300-bed hospital. It was the first large-scale hospital for seriously ill and disabled and it cared for the victims of the plague. There were hospices for the poor and for AIDS, isolation units, wars for travelers, and those who were sick with leprosy, there was a house for them. It was the first of many built by the Christian church. 
that when everybody else was running away from the areas where the plague was disabling people, it was the Christians who were running into those areas. To say that because of our ethic, that all human life matters, we're just going to allow all these people to not experience the love and the care of Jesus Christ. It's always been the church. I don't know if you know this, but in the so-called dark ages, in 47, 476 to 1,000 rulers influenced by Christian principles were encouraged to build even more facilities for the sick and the disabled. And Charlemagne decreed that every cathedral should have a school, a monastery, and a hospital attached. Members even of the Benedictine order dedicated themselves to the service of the seriously ill to help them as Christ would help them. It's always been the church that has been on the forefront of caring for people who society has left behind. But like Paul, he says he started off well. What happened? Paul says, when I was with you, remember I was blind, you had to leave me around, and you cared for me, and something happened. The church started off responding to the teachings of Jesus by caring for those who were on the margins, and something happened. You can even see this influence of the church in medical ethics. The Hippocratic ideal was expanded by doctors such as Thomas Brown in the 17th century, a Christian who was one of the first to write on medical ethics and whole person care. Thomas was a zealous reformer as well as a physician of integrity, and he drew up the professional code of ethics in the 18th century, and from that time, Christian thought was shaped much more of a modern profession of how to care for those who are disabled. It was the Christian witness that has shaped the way that we even see how we care for people today. It's always been the church's loving deeds. But like Paul, what happened? Why are, why are the disability community no longer a part of our churches? Even the early Christians realized the role of public health. I don't know if you knew this, but the priests used to even preach about the connection between public health and disease and helping the people to understand how to care better for themselves. It was the church who brought that into culture. It was the church who brought that into society. We've always had these loving deeds. It, it was even social services that, that the church began to enact in the 19th century in the Industrial Revolution. It had led a drift to the inner cities and intense social needs among the poor and the disability community. And watch this. It was the Quakers, the Evangelicals, and the Methodists who in particular applied themselves to meeting those needs. It was the church who performed loving deeds. But like Paul, I got a question. What happened? We started off doing the right thing, and all of a sudden, we stopped. You probably know this, but the Salvation Army, founded in 1865 by William Booth, provided much-needed medical care in impoverished inner cities. And the church, despite her flaws, has always been committed to the care and compassion of those who are left on the margins, those who are disenfranchised, those who have been disabled, those who are destitute. It has always been the church. Paul, even though he had a difficult time in the church, me, even though I've had a difficult time in the church, those persons in our community who are differently abled have had a difficult time with the church, but they're not knocking on the doors of the church just because they need it. They're knocking because they love the church, because the church, even though it has struggled, has always been on the forefront of performing loving deeds. The church has always shaped the culture on how people's lives are valued. And here's the last thing. Paul says that I don't only love them because of their faithful work and their loving deeds, but also the enduring hope. In other words, what Paul is pointing to here is that he loved the church, even though he had a difficult time with it, because of the confidence it gave him. It's enduring hope. They, they loved the church 
the customer service has always been the gatekeeper to type of loving kindness and compassion that is needed for those who have been pushed out on the margins. You know this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 through 19. Jesus declares to Peter and his disciples that the keys of his kingdom belong to the church. Can I just say this? We love the church. Maybe I'm speaking on behalf of this community that has been marginalized, but we love the church because the church, you who are listening, those who are listening online, the church has always held the keys, the keys to the kingdom and the keys to the hopes and dreams of full inclusion, not just in the church, but in the world. The church has always held the keys and has always been the gatekeeper to the type of loving, kindness, and compassion and empowerment that allows people to know that I am made in the image of God. And just because I have a physical limitation or a mental limitation, that does not mean that God has not chose me, that God has not called me, that God does not love me, and that God cannot use me. And we hold the keys to the kingdom. There is no plan B. When Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, he meant it. And he says, here are the keys to the kingdom. And your job is to include as many people as possible in the kingdom. And we started off good. And Paul says, what happened? If 20% of our population has some form of disability and we expect that to increase, then dare I say, if at least 20% of our church doesn't reflect that, then we're not doing our job. And, and the thing is, is, I've heard this from pastors, but we don't know where they are. They're, the school system is serving them. Other agencies outside the church is serving that population. They know who they are. They know where they are. And the question is that we have to ask ourselves, how come they're not here? Because all of the good that all these other agencies are doing is great, but guess where they got that idea from? Guess where they got the idea that we need to serve people with disabilities? Guess where they got the idea that we need to include people? Guess where they got the idea that we need to empower people and include them as a part of our society? Guess where they got that from? They got it from us. So what happened? Paul says, when I first showed up, you treated me well. All of a sudden, something created a distance. But he says, I still love you because you give me hope. In John chapter 5, Jesus gives the pool of Bethesda, a place where he says all the people with disabilities gather. And I believe that they gathered there. It was a legend because they thought that an angel would, would trouble the water and then people could jump in and get healed. And if you ever read that, the reason why sometimes it has that verse in or some Bible leaves it out is because they had to go back and add a note to say, this doesn't make sense to people who weren't from these parts, so we got to make sure why you know they were gathering around this pool. And so they believed in, in three things. They believed that there was a place for them. They believed that they needed other people. But they also believed that there's a power in gathering together in a place where God shows up. And I still believe that the disability community still believes that there's a place for them, that they need to be around God's people, and that there's something that, that's something that happens when we gather together in a place where we expect God to show up. The text says that Jesus showed up, and you remember the text, I'm not going to preach it to you, but he asked a man about whether or not he, would, he wants to get well, and I think sometimes we don't preach that properly because we, we begin to to disparage the mantle, what he can't do. But notice that Jesus never points out 
what he couldn't do was from the Father. He just gave him what he needed. He understood there's a, a place where the waters are being stirred. So, so my question is, and I'm almost done, what if the proverbial waters are being stirred right now? Out of all that we've seen in 2020, here's what I believe may have been a blessing, whether it was racial injustice, whether whatever we saw in 2020, what it did is it highlighted the fact that there are people on the margins that society has forgotten about. What if God is stirring the waters right now for the church to jump in, not just so that disabled bodies can be healed, but what if God is stirring the waters so that the disabilities community's faith in the church can be healed? Because we let them down. And I believe this is our window. God is stirring the waters for us to restore their faith in the community that God had always created to be on the forefront of giving them access to the type of loving, kindness, generosity, intentionality, all the things that are part of our church that will include them into God's kingdom, not just as tokens, but as people who are also called to serve along with us and expand God's kingdom. There's no other institution that has that assignment, and I believe that God is stirring up the waters, not just to heal bodies, but to heal the body of Christ. Because like Paul said, we started off good, all of a sudden, we forgot about it. So as we, we talk about this, and this is a beginning of a conversation, it's not just that they need us. No, this is not about being paternalistic or, or acts of charity. This is about being the church. This is about being the place that Paul, even though he had struggles with, he still loved it with all his heart. This is about being the place that even though this church has been a huge struggle for me over the years, I still love it because of his faithful work, his loving deeds, and his enduring hope. It gives me hope that even though we have gotten it wrong, God has given us a chance to get it right. 